guy. I almost stole Pastor Shirley's water. She got a bucket, too. Oh, okay. All right. Stop being jealous, sister. Stop being jealous of your little sister. Of course, she's older. I can't, can't remember what I said last time. I can't, you know, you can't keep up with these stories sometimes. Praise God. So today we're going to talk about the fact that there is no competition for his promises. Amen. There is no competition for his promises. So we can put all our little sibling rivalries away and all our little, I don't know if it's for me's away. There's no competition for the promises of God. And isn't that wonderful? If you grew up in a household with more than one child, you felt competitive for your parents' attention at some time. Even if you grew up as an only child, if you saw mom and daddy spending too much time together, you got jealous and wanted to get in there in the middle of things and get involved. So there's competition all the time in our minds. And you got to know it exists, first of all, in your mind. It's difficult to get the uh, idea of competing and competitiveness out of our mind. And one reason I can tell you that I, I can, can verify and understand it straight off the bat. See, it's hard to get rid of that. Uh, uh, everybody, you know, some people feel they're immune, you know, to uh, different feelings. But I've lived long enough to know they'll all hit you at some point. You ain't good. You understand? Well, you just in here like everybody, everybody else. Some people, when they, they say, oh, I'm not jealous. Oh, but you can be touched with jealousy. You just let the right thing get around you that you desire and see if your heart won't. Because we have human flesh. We are human beings. We're not, you know, sprouting wings out of our backs and flying around. Nobody flew in here. Everybody came in a car or walked or something. But, but you know what I'm saying. So don't. Try to set yourself. See, that's pride. You're setting your. You're saying you have something to boast in outside of God. So you gotta make up your mind. You know how you view yourself. But we can all be touched. Even Jesus was touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. You got me. He felt jealousy. He felt betrayed. He felt rejected. He felt all of those things that we feel. But they were only feelings. So you don't have to own them. To the point where you embrace them and make them your own. And you own them long enough to repent and tell God, you know, get this off of me. This ain't right. This is not of God. And I don't need this hindering my walk with you. You understand me? But, but everybody can be touched that way. One of the reasons people feel jealousy or competition is because of lack. It comes as a package deal with lack. So the spirit of poverty and the spirit of lack brings with it this fear of never having enough. There won't ever be enough. When am I going to get mine? When are you, you, oh, Come on now, y'all. Just, let's get real here. You know, and this is what we do when we think we're waiting too long for God to do something. It's when, when, when. Understand that when your mind says when, you've just entered into the door of poverty in your mind. You got me? So this stuff follows us around. This stuff lingers in our lives. This stuff uh, uh, bugs us. It's all around us. 
if you sit up and listen to, and you don't even have money and have to have money in the stock market, if you listen and, and see the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, most people don't know what that is. You find out it went down today, and you say, oh, you're going to have some kind of reaction, and it's going to trigger. Now, see, if you're not plugged in to, to a spirit of lack, you won't have any reaction to it. But we hear this kind of stuff all the time. Walmart's laying off. Somebody, the economy's bad or the economy's good. Any report that you hear locks into something in your mind, and it registers with you. If these things get to be important to you, you'll start looking for further evidence of that. You got me? And this is what happens to us when we run into difficulties in any direction. We get this sense that things are bad. If the reports say they don't change quickly, we don't expect them to change. We don't expect them to change for us or other people. This stuff eventually will get in your soul and start to determine how you make your plans, what you think, what you do, all of that kind of stuff. I see people now, this is something that I see that I think is totally ridiculous, especially if you believe God for stuff. Certain things you're just going to have to have, and you have to bite it in order to get them no matter what the cost. You understand that's a place to stay a roof over your head and gas for your car. I'll go to Walmart sometimes when they got their gas real cheap, and you'll see some nut with 10 gasoline, you know, them two and three gallon gas. They get, they're filling up every gasoline can they got. Well, this is two, two gallons at a time. Idiot, how long is that really going to last you? I'd rather, if, if it's that precious to me, I'd rather park the car and not drive. You understand? I mean, if you really can't go nowhere, you can't go nowhere. But this nonsense about storing up and saving up, it's all the understanding of lack. And lack breeds competition between people. A mentality of lack breeds competition between people. Satan loves this, this system that he's developed to keep us impoverished. Because he can keep us fighting with one another. He can keep us, when you, don't, when you fight people for things, you don't love them. When you don't love them, you can't enter into God's covenant. When you don't enter into God's covenant, your faith won't work. If your faith won't work, you'll never get the provision God has for you. You understand? So he works it out to his good. All he needs to do is start a rumor about lack or a rumor about something that... Uh, is coming down the pike where there won't be enough and see if people don't stampede and try to kill each other up to get what's left of what it is that. But you need to understand there's no competition in God's promises. See, this is the salvation that Jesus left for us, that no matter what the world is doing, you don't ever have to fear lack. You don't ever have to fear not enough. You don't ever have to fear, huh? And this is something you fight and you may work on for a lot of years of your life. Don't get the impression, well, I don't, I don't think like that no more. You liar, huh? Because our own behavior shows what we think. I can say I don't think that, but how come when I go to the grocery store, 
<laughs> Some of you have witnessed this. See, you don't think too much about it because you don't pay much attention to stuff. But if I see something on sale, I'll get like, oh, OMG, they've got 17 screwdrivers for a penny a piece. Let me get 1,700 of them. You understand what I'm saying? Just get, and, and, and sometimes it's so bad when I, by the time I get home, I finally get to my right mind, you know. And I'll say, like, so whoever's driving me home, that like, like, who was it last time? I think it was Howard all the time. I said, hey, hey Brother Dillard, can you use extra chicken? <laughs> I done went in Sam's and, you know, Hurr! And that's, that's part of, you see what I'm saying? Now I'm working on it. The great thing is that most people can be blessed by my, <laughs> my craziness. So, you know, if you're in the overflow room at the time, you know, you, but try living with somebody who buys eight pounds of sliced turkey at one time. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. We have a turkey again. Yes, guess what we're having? We're having turkey, a la whatever, a la cardboard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but see, this is part of me fighting. When I get it under control, I'll learn how to buy just enough. You understand what I'm saying? Without that fear involved in it. But it, it, the point it is now, God's graced me to be able to clean it up by being able to bless somebody else with it. You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff. And I like blessing people. I don't ever want to think y'all have, y'all to think you got to cart me around and I don't appreciate it. You know, so that's part of the plan of God too. But it starts with me because I'm telling you, I ain't leaving it in the supermarket. If my eyeballs see it, I think, I ain't leaving it there. I'm going to find, and then, you know, I come out, I say, I'm going to stop by the store. And I come up with 10 bags, and they go, <laughs> you know, you sure, 10 bags? Right. You know what I'm saying. Now, how many of y'all can witness that? Say amen, somebody. And so, yeah, and, and so we all do that. You know, there's always, and we look in our freezer, dang, I didn't use that, or it's gone bad now, or something like that. And we lament that, that we do that, and it, it lends to waste anyway, but we can't stop ourselves when this poverty thing grabs you, and you, you're trying to fight it with everything that you got, and you know your faith will get you over in this, but you just don't use the tools that you did. And see, if, if y'all come up to me when I'm in the, in the zone and you say something to me about we don't need it, are you kidding me? What do you mean we don't need it? When have I ever bought because of need? <laughs> no, that thing will get you. Mess with it. And y'all know better, I'm sure. But anyway, it, it, it's a thing that it, it takes such a grip on you sometimes and it manifests itself in different ways. Sometimes it can be hoarding, storing up, you know, that kind of insecurity. Sometimes it can be a, a, a mentality where you fight yourself. You can strive within yourself with this to try to master it. And mostly it is an inner striving, an inner competing. You're not really competing against anybody in the real world. You're more or less competing with this voice that's telling you you'll never have anything. It's not enough. You know, why, why even go to a job because you're not going to earn enough anyway? 
You understand what I'm saying? I mean, the devil will tell things. And sometimes, you know, when your children are young, you have to learn how to work them out of this because, and give them little jobs to do and give them little ways to make earn money and show them that labor pays off. Because it's easy for the enemy to start to grab a hold of a person's mind and frustrate them. Because they, they don't look at prosperity the way God does. And we'll talk about how God looks at it. But, but you know, you have to get over this competitive mindset, this thing about there's competition. So what does it mean to compete? It means to take part in a contest. You can be contesting yourself on the inside. It means to take part in a contest. It means to strive to gain or win something by defeating or establishing superiority over others who are trying to do the same. So sometimes in your mind, there's competition for certain things. I remember when we were in high school, you know, there were certain, you know, the popular kids. You didn't want to compete against the girl who had the, the cutest face or the cutest hairdo or the best figure or something like that. You understand what I'm saying? And, and then there was the, the best looking boy in school. And so everybody wanted him and everybody wanted her. And if you felt like you could measure up, you said hi to him. If you didn't, you kept going, say, I'll find me something. i find mine around the corner somewhere. You know, that one ain't for me. But there's competition for attention for people. There's competition for material things in people. Sometimes, you know, you want to go buy a car. Or, you know, faith people, we get in competition in the church real bad with our faith. I'm believing God for, remember poor little Josie, I want a Mercedes Benz. She didn't even know how to spell it, but you, you could have given her a, a, a Mac, Mac burger, and she did, this is a Mercedes Benz. Oh, okay, I'll take it. You understand what I'm saying? Because she didn't know what she was wanting, but she knew there was some implied status attached to it. And people will say the strangest things that their faith is going to bring into them. I remember we're believing God for a bus. I'm trying to get people to give enough to get a used bus. Um, God told me, no, he didn't. Just say it. Okay. Oh, we got to get one of them. I said, you know what them things cost? Bring me $300,000 in here and we'll get one. And also pay the, pay the insurance for 10 years. You got that kind of money. God is going to have you finance some souls and some missionaries. I know that for a fact. saddle you with all that. I said, uh-uh, don't, don't try to strap my mind down with it. God's already told me how he's going to do it and what he's going to do. When it comes here, we'll be able to afford it. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not going to sweat y'all and it's not going to sweat me. I don't believe in sweating over stuff like this. So anyway, so it means to strive. It means to rival, challenge, keep up with and compare with. And don't that describe a lot of what we do? Television's our worst enemy sometimes, feeding us with ideas that cause us to rival, strive, compete, compare. Your kids will start wanting the most expensive shoes. All parents go through this. Huh? You got to knock the stupid out of your kids almost to get it to listen. Do you know what, what you, number one, do you know how much you eat every week? 
You know what your daddy makes and you know what I make. So get that out your mind. I tell you what, when you get big enough to work and make your own money, you can buy all of them you want. Because huh? we first got to give our tenth to God and then we live off the rest. So you believe God for them and they walk in here on their own, you can have them. Because that's life. So when we think of getting anything out of life, we realize that there are others who desire the same thing. So we realize that there is competition in life. It's always true. Lack and poverty, we say, create a competitive air. When we are aware of the fact that opportunities, resources are limited, we, see, we sense the need to compete and to be the best. Some people carry an insecurity that never allows them to rest and with their accomplishments. I remember when I was uh, recovering from <laughs> one of my 12-step, step, I don't even think, which 12-step program was it? N-A-A-A, O-A, B-A, got me? I was all the anonymous people. Uh, even when I take a microphone now, no, <laughs> my name is Barb. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, they would tell you, they said many times people like us, I always included themselves, they said they are depressed and anxious because they don't take the time to what they call endorse yourself. So what they would do is that if you, if you gave yourself some challenges and everybody had them, you, your, your challenge might have been getting out to bed under five minutes. You know, <laughs> first one leg, let it stay over there, and then pull it back in until you decide you're going to put it out there and let it stay. Then leg number two. You know, that takes half a morning for some people. And so they said, uh, when you do anything toward your goal, endorse yourself. Just tell yourself you did good. And see, to people who are grown that think they know everything, that sounds stupid. But how about encouraging yourself in the Lord? Don't we do that in there? Isn't that scriptural? And so it was remarkable how much of their their uh, their um, their tactics were taken from scripture, and that's why they worked. So they just called them by different things. And so I find that many times people who are competitive, dissatisfied, insecure, don't ever do that. One little step that makes all the difference in the world. Because if you can tell yourself you're okay. See, everybody wants to be what we call affirmed. You want to know you're okay. We gravitate toward people who tell us we're okay or make us feel like we're okay. So we all want it and we all need it. That's how it's, it's, a, it's a type of love. And we all get nurtured by that spirit of love. That's why God commands we do it. Or you won't survive, you won't live, you won't make it if you don't get this. And so when we understand how love is released, how it's received, and how what it does to a human soul, we'll be more inclined to seek love, employ love in our lives, and less inclined to want to beat the competition. Because if that competitive thing lives in your head, you'll never beat it. 
It's going to always be with you. It's going to be with you everywhere that you go. I've seen churches, pastors pit groups of people in churches against one another, thinking they're encouraging people to do something. Well, the so-and-so auxiliary raised so much money, and somebody, y'all got to, you know, you, you fight each other, which is wrong. You don't release that on God's people. And if the pastor had any faith, he'd know better. You don't need to make people compete in order to pay your bills in the church. you got to use your faith and teach people how to give and the rewards of giving. That's how it's done. It's done through love. It's not done through competition. So lack and poverty committed, and we can have a, a, a poverty of soul where your soul never tells itself it's okay. Your soul never tells you you're all right. Your soul never tells you that you're a blessing or that you're a a treasure to, to God and to the people around you. Your soul never tells you that. So you go through life looking for ways to validate yourself and you wind up in a competition against yourself. People who, I was always insecure about money. That's why I stayed in school all the time. I got degrees to do pretty much anything in certificates and papers and stuff. I had them before I was 25 years old. Huh? I am a managing cosmetologist. Diane, where is she at? Always bragging about, I said, what you managing? Huh? Get some money in here, manager. <laughs> send, send me some tithe money. You understand what I'm saying? But, but you know, and I was a, 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 I was a nursing professor in a college. Huh? I've done all kind of stuff. Why? I never thought I was going to make enough money to be satisfied because I grew up poor and I resented it. And God had to help me work the resentment out of my life. I said, God had to help me work the resentment out of my life to get some peace. You can't carry that stuff around into your saved life. It'll drive you crazy. It drove me crazy. All I thought about was how soon can I get something so that I can get this. And I didn't know I was trying to get uh, something, an attitude out of me. I thought it was real. I thought it was real that I'd never have enough of anything. I thought it was real that I'd never be content until I made a certain amount of money. I thought it was real that I didn't, you know, life wasn't worth living unless you had certain things. Because I grew up that way. And so, and, and you can be in a house with somebody and grow up in the same household but have totally different outlooks about those things. You know, everybody don't have to be deranged and crazy. But it drove me crazy, you know, because I let it, you know. And so you have to get to the point where you know what your life, the value of your life, and you quit striving against your own soul for mastery of things. We put it on other people. I had people tell me from the time I was small, you better get a good education or you're not going to make nothing out of yourself. Because they lacked education. They thought that was the key to everything. 
But I've seen people with good education that never made anything, didn't do anything with it, because they weren't pleased with their life and what they were doing. They were pushed to do it by somebody who thought that was important. You gotta watch. You gotta be careful what you put on other people. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you need to let just people be happy. If you go to a job every day and you don't have a degree and you're happy doing that, then keep doing it and be happy. And what a college education gets you now is say definitely hold off and save your money and see if you can find something you really like to do before you invest that kind of money in it. It's horrible what it costs. And so we have to be careful sometimes that we're not putting our lack and our poverty on other people and making them feel insecure because we do. Be careful about that. Amen? Especially as Christians. Even when you're telling people the right thing, like I'll try to get the word drilled into people, you know, and I realize, I say, no, you've got to back off now. Come on. <laughs> Grace. Are you grace to badger them with a, you, I told them the, the word heals. Take that knot with you and see if it don't go down in the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? Just anything. Like, can I take your brain off and put this in there, please? You understand what I'm saying? And the same for myself. I get mad at myself. I can't. How am I doing this over again? I don't know. So we have to be careful. You know, sometimes we, we mean well and we, we feel like that's important, but it may not be important to that person you're talking to. And it creates more problems for them. Life in the natural demands that we be motivated to excel and to make progress. And we're always aware that there are others who desire what we desire and that they and that there may not be enough for everybody so that is a fact in natural living so we have to make decisions based on natural considerations in a situation where there's jobs we need to consider what is the demand for that occupation like how many jobs will there be for that in my lifetime because if you're choosing a career for the rest of your life You've got to know what the potential for that is where you stand right now. Now, there are some people that we call visionary people, uh, say like the computer geeks that were running around in the 60s and 70s. Some of them were visionaries. As Henry Ford was a visionary. He envisioned everybody owning a car and being able to drive well. Well, of course you're going to invest in that because you know you can sell one to everybody. So there are visionary people, but then there are some of us who don't have vision, and we go by what the report says. And so we have to be, be sure that our future is secure. Well, how are you going to do that in the natural? You can't do it. You have no means in the natural to know what the economy is going to be like, what your occupation is going to be like 10 years from now, 30, 20, whatever, till you retire. And so we have to have, as believers, we have to have something else in us motivating us and driving us forward that doesn't depend on the natural, doesn't depend on the natural. You need to also know what qualifications are necessary for your job. Some people can, in their insecurity, I would say would mess around and get overqualified. We need an insurance degree got one master's let me get another one just in case 
there are many, many people around like, well, i got to have a doctorate because then I can do so-and-so, you know? So that's the natural flow. Will I have this job for a long time, or will it, uh, but will the, and will the market be saturated soon? We have to consider those if you're just dealing with the natural. Lack is always a factor in planning for one's future, so we make plans with lack in mind. When you do your savings, put a certain aside for savings, and you better. You live as long as I have, you'll find out savings is your friend. That's not your enemy right now. How long will that job last? Will it pay enough for me to live? Are there opportunities for growth in that job? All of those things we make plans on, and it's based on lack. If you think about it, it's not based on faith. It's based on the eventuality that something will go wrong with it, and we've got to be prepared for that, that future. Poverty mentality, if we abide in that, and, and this is something that's peculiar about the poverty mentality. If you go into, say, your, your career or your work situation, and you don't deal with the lack mentality, you don't deal with, when I say don't deal with it, you don't recognize that it's driving you. First of all, you got to recognize it. Any good psychiatrist will tell you if you can identify your problem, that's 90% of getting well. A lot of people go in and get therapy and they never understand what it is that's bugging them. See, your God will give you clarity on those things. We know what's bugging us is we don't line up with the word. See, it's real simple with us. And so when we, when we correct that, you line up with the world and everything's wonderful again. Amen. And so when, you, when you're dealing with poverty, poverty easily gives itself over to discouragement. Hmm? A lack mentality will easily give itself over to discouragement. For instance, you work a job. Say you want, you, there's this, what we call our dream house, you know. Nightmare. See, if you don't do it right, it can be a nightmare. Got me? You can dream, and there's a a season when it's time to step into that dream, but if you step into it prematurely, it'll be a nightmare. And you don't know that until you get with God. None of this is going to leave you, and we'll get to that, until you understand what God has for you, and you can beat and master this stupid stuff. But poverty, a poverty mentality, if you feel frustrated, because of where you begin, then the word says, do not despise the day of small things. Because, and God's giving you a key to success there. If you despise the day of small things, despise means you hate it so much you'd rather quit than press through it to get to where you need to go. See, when you despise a day, listen, preachers leave churches this size because they fear it's not worth it. And if they don't get it a certain level, they'll swear God's not with you. There are people I know that we, we support and give money to. They'll come in here and say, oh, this all you got? And turn their noses up and go the other way. And they'll go around and say, we shouldn't even have, it's not worth messing with. I don't see why God don't bless them bigger than what they are and blah this and blah that. Well, that's in your world. But in God's world, he considers all the sheep important. I don't care if you got but two of them sitting up around your dining room table. Everybody's important to God. 
they wind up falling anyways because their heads ain't all right. They're a little screwed up anyway. But see, if you despise the day, and this is what they don't understand, that God has to minister to small and large. And, and you can be faithful over a few and remain small. I found that out. Because I racked my brain. I said, God, am I not being faithful? And I finally gave it up. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go and preach to whoever shows up. Huh? And just be the best witness I can be. And just live for you, God. And, you know, do what I need to do. And let's just keep going on with this. Many people judge whether you're serving God by your size. They, they call us a cult. Something wrong with them people. They just sit up and listen to her all the time. Well, they're supposed to listen to the word. See, preachers like large crowds that fidget because then they don't have to prepare much. You can go in and tell them anything and they'll be hooping and hollering and go sweat and go home and the same. Come back in with some more. They're looking at the offerings. Let's have this number of services every week and we can get this much money in. You on the internet, wise up. If you believe something other than that, you better get smart. Amen. But poverty tends to lend itself to discouragement and doubt. And that's why they abandon small congregations. Because they look at empty seats. Don't look at the empty ones. You ain't preaching to nothing there. Look at the full ones and start preaching to the ones who are there, not to the ones who are missing. You can't preach to something that ain't there. And so we, we understand that. So when, when we have small beginnings, a day of small things is so important to this is, this is why people have abortions, because they despise that baby that's growing because it's small and helpless and can't do anything. So they decide they're gonna, it's an inconvenience. They develop a resentment or despise it, don't like it, don't want to nurture it, don't want to care for it. And it's easy to get rid of it because it's small and inconvenient. Same thing with anything. That's small. That's why God said, I put within every individual seed that reproduces after its own kind. If I believe, if people recognize you're killing your own kind when you do that, you're killing yourself. You're killing your own image. And, and to be honest with you, I know that part of an individual dies when they have an abortion. They've been deceived into thinking it's nothing. It's this blob of tissue that's, you know, it's not even human. It's not, they'll even tell you that. And, and, and that's so wrong. You know, people have been robbed of their humanity that way. But God, God can restore that. He can restore that. He can restore anything. He'll restore the good you feel about yourself. He'll restore your self-image that you think has been destroyed totally because of something you did wrong. But you got to get with God to get his restoration. So a poverty mentality will tend to bring doubt and discouragement. That's why God uh, redeemed us from the curse of poverty. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? It means now to walk in a newness of mind where provision, work, in, uh, employment, success... You walk in a different mindset where those things are concerned. 
Most Christians are still walking in a worldly mindset when you say the word success and it triggers something carnal in most people, especially in Christians too. You know, we're not immune. To me, success may mean I feel like getting up tomorrow if I didn't feel like getting up the day before. You understand what I'm saying? It's different things for different people. But there's no reason to turn carnal when it's success. See, when you say success to some people, if they don't have anything, they think it's having everything at one time. And that's not God's way. See, it'll disappoint you real quick if you think blowing up. See, that's a phenomenon we see in the world today because the devil is the master of deception. He'll cause people, all of a sudden, you'll see somebody uh, went viral. Everybody wants to go viral on YouTube. And now everybody's seeing that, and you're all popular all of a sudden. But tomorrow, he'll pull that out from under you and give it to the next person. Because he's broke himself, and he don't have a lot of stuff to pass around to people. So he's used the internet and all these viral things to make people think they're all important. And then all of a sudden, after about a week or so, nobody knows who they are. Thank God they forgot you because now you can sober up and you can start to do what God wants you to do with your life. You understand what I'm saying? So poverty in itself, you know, people can get defeated before they even get started good if they despise the day of small things. And see, if you're the kind of person that carries that mentality with you, every time you attempt to get started on something, the devil will tell you, this ain't good enough for you. This ain't right for you. You ought to be doing so-and-so. You ought to be doing such-and-such. And make you discontented at the level that you are. He keep you discontent. You'll never get started. Because to me, the first step, if you say you don't have a poverty mentality, the first step Improving that is to set your hand to something. You understand what I'm saying? If you ain't broke in, in your mind and thinking poverty all the time, you, you are working. You've got a job all the time. In fact, you got two, three, and four. I was so blessed when Miss Donna said, she said, you know, I decided to, she just came in there and just tears started. To, I didn't let her see me. I, just, I sucked it up real quick. I got preaching in a minute. But, you know, it just moved me because I thought to myself, somebody heard Amos 9.13. Somebody finally heard it and understands it. It's about to move on it. And I told her, I said, Miss Donna, you know what? I said, you're banking for your kids, your grandkids. I said, all your generation, you can claim their salvation. And I thought about it. I said, you know, I was speaking to somebody. I told her, I said, I was speaking to somebody in our age generation. I said, and they were talking about something. And and my mind went to Amos 9.13 and and how they have been faithful sowing, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I thought, none of their children are saved. They don't need to pull back on their giving. They need to increase and give more if they can. You understand what I'm saying? How are you, how's your, how are your grandkids going to get into the kingdom if you don't store up treasures in heaven for them? You understand what I'm saying? And, and it's real. See, this is very real. How are your loved ones going to get saved? How are your loved You've got to be consistent in this thing. You've got, and you've got to be faithful. God, anybody can do anything for a minute. Huh? I'd probably walk on Lake Erie for at least a couple seconds. Probably get out there and do it. But you know what? I sink rapidly. <laughs> I got a little anchor 
on me. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. You know, I started thinking about the, oh, I shouldn't have had that burger yesterday. You know what I'm saying. And he's down, down. I'm done for it. And Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. But that's the first step in beating a poverty mentality is to work. Why? The Bible says everything you set your hand, set your hand, not your mind and not your wishing. But what you set your hand to will prosper. So you're living in a poverty mentality if you don't work. You are. Because you don't really understand that just setting your hand to something will cause you to prosper if you continue with it long enough. Our problem as believers, we like to quit too fast, man. We think we believe more in magic than we we have faith. Because faith does not operate like that. You do it for a little bit and then go look at it and see what it did. You don't do that when you're a faith person. A faith person is sold out to the system. We're sold out to God's system. Discouragement and doubt. Always having your mind set in some fantasy regulation. You know, "Hmm, let me fantasize about this. And then you come back down to earth and you're discouraged. You can't afford to do that as a believer. Yeah, this is what keeps people from getting healed. They think, it, oh, I'm saved. Hmm? Now, salvation should humble all of us. But there's the arrogant saved, too. The arrogant saved think they're entitled to everything just because they made a one-time confession. Your witness is shot. Don't barely come to church yourself. Don't bring nobody else. But yet when it's your hour for a need, you think it's supposed to come instantly or, you know, you're mad at God or mad at the saints. Yeah, they know I'm sick, but nobody comes to see me. You don't need nobody to see you but Dr. Jesus. Listen, people came to see Job. See, that's enough for me right there. I don't crave company one little bit. You understand? When I, when I know what I need when I get there, and if I need somebody to, other than the Lord, he'll tell me who to call. Your pastor shouldn't be having to be old hover over you every five minutes. You start depending on prayer instead of on God and the Word. All you need to do is Proverbs 4.20. That works for everything, every time, every day. Without fail. And people want everything but the word when they get sick. They want somebody to hold their hand. They want somebody to get all the saints to pray. You don't need all the saints to pray. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. What are you asking him to do for you? You need to lawyer up, honey. You don't know what you need. So, to stay out of poverty and discouragement, we must understand that there is no competition with God he does not put that in our hearts the Bible says you have to strive lawfully for mastery over something you're striving for mastery over God's word and mastery over the kingdom principles and mastery over that's the only striving you're allowed to do and you got to do it lawfully, the Bible says. You got to walk in love. You got to obey the commandments of God. You got to do everything to what God tells you to do and then look for some more to do. That's how to prosper in God. 
Well, I haven't done that already. We'll look for some more to do in God. Can you do too much for God? I wish I can get young people to say they'll agree with that sometimes. Because they're still looking for what's out there. And I tell you right now, ain't nothing out there for you. Everything that you need is in the kingdom, in the books of the Bible, and that kind of stuff. Quit looking out in the world trying to find your future. It ain't out there. God promises us what we need. There's no competition in a promise. But you know, the saints will make it a competition anyway. They'll come up to you and say, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Blessed and highly favored. And you want to argue with them. You do. I know I do. Blessed and highly favored. If you're so blessed and highly favored, you know, why are you a cashier at Walmart? I mean, I'm not saying you can't be. But there are always the people that will tell you that, and they tell it to you in a defensive, like they're hiding something from you. See, if I'm a cashier at Walmart, I'd go there in Jesus' name. You understand what I'm saying? Because that ain't who I am anyway. That's just what I do. But when I say, I'm, you ask me how I'm doing, I might not say, spit out blessed and holy, like a little robot. Everybody, blessed and holy, baby, don't you ask me why. Bunch of devils in there and telling you all this religious stuff. Don't you ask me what that means. Don't you say nothing to me. Get away from me. Witness shot all over the place. Shoot your witness with a shotgun, man, with that kind of stuff. So, excuse me, what is a promise? Promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. So you have an assurance. If God puts something on your heart to do with your life, it'll happen. Because he promised it to you. Huh? You, it's up to you to believe it. Well, Pastor Barb, every time I get a job, it's just doing menial things. Well, he's promised you to be successful at it. i tell you what we don't do. We don't continue with it until that voice quits bugging you that it's not good enough for you. We let the voice win every time. Oh, okay. Well, you don't have to agree with me. I know it's the truth. See, that voice bugged me about ministry for the longest time until I realized what I was supposed to do. I told the Lord, I said, you know what? The really great ones are more famous after they're dead than while they're alive. I said, I think I'm in that club. If I ain't, I'm going to join it right today. But this, from this day forward, I don't bug you anymore about numbers, finances. I'm just going to go by faith from day to day, feeding what flock God sends here. Amen. Sometimes I get mad at y'all because you don't bring people. But when you bring people, make sure you get here on time. So you don't get them scared. You know what I'm saying? I came, I didn't see your car. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Let's clean it up, folks, okay? Let's act like we got a real church here. 
Oh, this is going over real well. You know what? I think I'm just going to preach to myself. Huh? This is going over so well. I'm thinking about y'all. You don't want to hear the truth? No way. But you keep coming here. Huh? You can, y'all could go to crazy church if you want to. Huh? So whatever God promises us, that's a promise. It will have an assurance. A promise is an assurance that it will happen. A particular thing will happen. Not just you're blessed or you live a blessed life, but show me something in in particular that you have. Like I would love to say to some of them blessed and highly favored people, what way? What's God done for you lately? Uh, What you mean? Uh, we could share a little bit, you know, sister to sister, whatever. God always promises us what we need. Need, N-E-E-D. He takes care of needs first. Why? He's a prosperity God. If you don't get what you need first, you still have lack. And this is why we have so many dissatisfied, disgruntled, discouraged saints Because they never look at what did I need and did God take care of that. We look at what we don't have that we think we deserve and we're going to be mad until we get it. Huh? It's true. You see people start straggling in late. You know they don't care about. You understand something wrong between them and God. I'm just telling y'all the truth. I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care if you're late all the time and it's hitting you or it don't hit you. Some of you done got so numb to it, you don't even think about it anymore. But I'm telling you, you're going to wish when your day of need comes that you were there on time because the devil's going to bug you about that very thing. Huh? See, I'm telling you up front, you need to show God more respect for his house and that he sets a table for you twice a week. You need to show more respect for that. Because in your time of need, your mind is going to wonder, did I do this? Did I give enough? No, don't even ask that question because you know that you don't qualify there. Most people don't. But your mind is going to take you through your activities because deep down we know obedience is what God is looking for to bless us. And you get to where you're not blessed, you can zero in on your own fault right then and right there. And if you're not the the humble person to just repent and throw yourself on the mercy of God, you'll sit there and feel condemned the whole time. And that will block you from getting whatever it is that you need from God because you don't know how to be obedient. You don't know how to keep yourself encouraged in your spirit. And you don't know how to keep your, your heart full of the love of God so you don't despise where you are. Everybody in here ought to be thankful every day for something. And quit thinking about what you don't have. The trick of the devil. You'll never get it being dissatisfied with God. I can tell you right now, you're going to get to have to get happy, 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 happy right where you are in order to get more from God. Because he doesn't give to people who aren't faithful. He doesn't give to you because you pout. Are you kidding me? My mama wouldn't give me what I asked for if I pouted. And I know God's not going to give it to me. Huh? 
she looked at me, she said, well, you can do that if you want. You're going to be a long time getting that. And she meant it, too. Reward nobody. Then put you in the witchcraft. You think because you get in a bad mood, you can make somebody do something? Are you kidding me? The oldest trick in the book. So a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. God can promise you a job, career, family, spouse. He can promise you people. We believe God for people all the time. People are the, the hardest things for us to convince. Huh? Listen, I tried. <laughs> you know what I mean. You try and convince somebody to do something. You have a hard job on your hands. But God can convince people to do anything he wants them to do. Anything. Huh? God can tell somebody you barely know that you're the person they're supposed to marry. That really blessed me. A little Russian couple, we uh, we went over to one of their meetings, and and the uh, I saw the young girl, and I knew she was single the last time we saw her. And she was sitting there, had a man sitting right next to him, just all cozied up. I thought, oh, God, man. And so I remember they had had a wedding like the last couple of months or so. And so I was asking the husband, I said, well, what happened with you two? He said, we were out witnessing together and serving God, and I wasn't thinking about uh, a wife or anything. He said, and one day I just looked at her different. See, God reveals. He's a God of revelation. He's not a God of manipulation. He's a God of revelation. When you somebody asks you to marry him, you don't want them to be manipulated into it. You just set him up for a bigger witch to come and take him away from you. You have to watch him all the time. Because there's somebody out there with great big devils can take him and do that. Get them all doped up, smoking ganja and rolling blunts and stuff like that. They won't even remember what their address is. Hmm? I'm serious. It happens all the time. Voice of seven women calling to one man. Huh? He only had two. He could have five more, according to witchcraft principles. <laughs> Check it. So it's that assurance. God can promise you anything, anybody. He can promise you children. He can promise you grandchildren. He can promise you long life. He can promise you everything that the world tells you you can't have. Huh? And he'll give it to you because he's able to keep his promise to us. He does not consider <clears throat> lack. He doesn't consider the natural. And he does not consider resources of what's down here on the earth. He makes his promises to us before the foundation of the earth. So anything you're expecting, God, and don't ever put away your expectation. The Bible says don't cast away your confidence. That is your expectation for good. That's what confidence is. Don't throw it away. Why does the Bible tell you not to do it? Because they know you want to. People don't really just quit. They just get get passive on it. You ever been there? 
You're just numb walking through life, so to speak. Don't really care one way. I used to pray real hard for stuff and, you know, don't do it anymore. Or I used to pray for that. And you double up on something you think God will do and you neglect what you think he won't do. Well, you need to do the opposite. You need to double up your faith on what you have doubt in. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? And quit the shenanigans. Quit trying to act like you don't really need that in your life. What we hunger for, if it's a righteous hunger, we'll get fed. But God can and will increase our resources so that he can take care of us. Whatever it takes to keep his word, he'll do it. Well, God, they're laying off here and there. Don't worry about it. You want a job, he'll give you a job. But I tell you what, he's not going to make you president of company day one. You're not ready. You're not ready. See, this is for those people who think they're supposed to be more than what they are in the day of small things. I don't know why I keep coming back to that. But somebody here needs to hear that. In the day of small things, you need to be faithful over small things. Just be faithful over small things. Treat it like a little helpless baby in your life. My career is small now. Let me treat it like a little helpless baby. Let me care for it. Let me give it more attention. Let me, instead of walk around haughty like you're too good for that. You won't get very far. See, you look 10 years down the road and you keep starting over again and you wonder what it is. That's, I'm going to tell you right now what it is. You despise starting small. You need to make up your mind one day, just like I did about this ministry. God, if it's small forever and if it gets smaller, I'm still going to preach. Don't I tell y'all if I'm if I got to preach in my mirror, I'm going to preach in my mirror. Y'all get crazy and want to go do something else or not crazy. You think you've graduated, keep moving, whatever it is. I, I will be preaching to myself. Huh? Because I, I got to have an audience. <laughs> Look in my mirror. How am I looking? There's a lot of preachers do that. You see them preachers on YouTube? They ain't preaching to nobody. They preaching sitting up in their room somewhere. But they got to preach on them, and pretty soon God will give them an audience if they stay faithful, and it's God. I started in my mirror. I can finish there. <laughs> what is our responsibility? To say yes. That's the only responsibility you have. Every promise of God, the Bible says, is yes and amen. How come I didn't write that down? Did I do Second Corinthians? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I forgot my scripture. There is, like I said, I said a few minutes ago y'all was sleeping or you'd know I said it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Second Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God are in him, in him. In him. To be in Christ really means to be obedient to God's word. If you're studying the word, I can tell you an easy judge of being in him. You're studying the word and that word starts to get inside of you. Jump up off the page as we used to say. Or you get a witness in your spirit that that word is for you. Then that, you say yes to that. Don't let that pass by without you. God, show me some more. I say yes to that. That's mine. I know it's mine. And start meditating on it and understanding it and let it work on you on the inside. It's yes and amen in him, 
by us. So you say yes to what God has already offered you. You don't have to make up anything. You don't have to create anything. All you have to do is say yes. And this is the hard part. Let God bring it to you. Mm -hmm. Now the Bible's full of people that tried to go get it. Just keep doing what you do to please God. And you'll walk into your promise. Huh? A little Russian girl was, was ministering with, you know, men and women out witnessing the people, passing out tracts. And one day God told this man, and, and she said, he asked her, he said after a while he prayed about it and it wouldn't leave him. A prayer that won't leave you. See, it's becoming a part of you now. See, you offer it back to God. God, if this isn't for me, you know, don't, I don't want to waste my time investing in the wrong thing. And so he said one day he got up the courage to ask her. He said, has God been speaking to you about being my wife? She said, you mean you haven't prayed yet? <laughs> Good Russian girl. You see what I'm saying? She's been praying already. So she prayed, he prayed. They were married in no time. See, the thing you think is so far away from you can be that close. If you'll continue to believe God. Put your feelers out for God. Don't jump at something because you're tired of waiting. Huh? I'm going to say it again. Don't jump at something because you're tired of waiting. You go from the frying pan into the fire. You think it's, you think it's hot waiting. Wait till you get in the frying pan, get in the fire. Uh-huh. So our responsibility is only to say yes. Yes what? Yes, I believe. Amen? Yes, he can. Yes, he will do it for me. Yes, he has heard me. Yes, he has answered me. You say yes that God has heard you and has answered you. And say yes to the fact that it will come to pass regardless of what it looks like in the natural. Now, the devil will start to manipulate natural circumstances to wear you down and distract you. If you're a naturally minded person, my advice to you is to shut everything down, get in the word, put the drapes down, turn your MP3 as loud as you can get it or whatever's playing the word for as loud as you can get it until you get that in you. Because the devil's going to take it out of you because it's barely in there already much distracted as we are in this day and age and so the enemy wants to take that out of you and you have to believe it'll come to pass regardless of natural resources there was a testimony i heard about a um ah, trying to trying to think of the name of the brokerage house but it's it's there now well at the time it was goldman sachs is what it was but it there defunct now somebody else bought him it's a different name but this guy was one of the originators goldman sachs and during the depression they lost almost everything but he decided the jewish man he decided that he every day he he would get a lunch from home in a little brown paper bag he'd go to the office he'd take his walk at lunchtime sit in the park and eat his lunch and come back to the office there was no business but he kept that routine throughout several years of the, the depression and one day the phone rang and it was somebody who wanted to invest well he was there 
took him two years to get the call, but his faith never wavered. Every day he went to work like he always did, expecting that phone to ring. It didn't ring for a long time, but when it rang, he was there. And he built that to a multi-billion dollar corporation that it was before 2008. You got me? Everybody got involved. Everybody was dirty in that deal. You got me? So we can't blame it on anybody. But that's how those companies survived the Depression. People refused to continue. Same thing with the couple that invented Monopoly. They decided to play a game that if we had money, what would we do with it? We'd buy property. And they created a board game. And somebody was interested in it and sold. They're selling Monopoly games now. That's taking care of their family for generations. Why? That kind of faith, it can move mountains, folks. That kind of faith can do anything. Because it's the God kind of faith. It puts in operation that which you desire. It puts action to what you say you want. It keeps working at it when there's nothing there. It keeps working at it when it's small. It doesn't let it fade and don't, you know, reject it and hate it because it's small. It keeps working. And so faith that keeps working will always produce something. God's riches are in glory. That's why we don't have to compete for anything. There's no competition in God's promises. Amen. He creates what, what we need. And he creates what he needs to bless us. So really, when we believe God for the impossible, we're putting creativity into operation. This is how new industries get started. This is how new, new jobs get started. This is how new businesses are built. Because believers put a demand on God's riches and glory with their faith, and pretty soon you see it down here in the natural. So if your days are small, keep working at it. When God judges you faithful, he will bless the work of your hands. And you won't get it until he judges you faithful. You won't get it. He doesn't bless people that start and stop. And he doesn't bless people who let the devil stop them. You see the devil coming after your blessings, you keep, you went. You understand? You went. You know, when I fell, I fell off the top stair going into my house. Umpty numpties, I don't know. You know, it's a mighty great fall. You know? But I made up my mind. You got to have your mind made up. Listen, I don't have nobody. When I was married, my husband didn't feel sorry for me. He didn't let me sit around and mope. Huh? Well, if you get sick, what am I going to do? I mean, a brother will tell you that in a minute. You understand what I'm saying? We come a lot from a long line of women that know how to function, and they know it. Uh, your mama didn't whine, her mama didn't whine, and her mama didn't whine, so you ain't whining. You know better. You ain't going to start this stuff on me. They'll make you get up and function, motivate you strongly. <laughs> get them to go do something. Now everybody in the got scared. See, that's why I don't want to get married. I'll oh, cut it out. Grow up. Anyway. But a promise, <laughs> what was I saying anyway? Well, I lost my train. Huh? Oh, yeah, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to miss the conference. Huh? I'm going. Huh? I don't care about that. First thing the devil said, what you going to do during healing school? I said, I'm going to lean on somebody. I said, or I might walk if I get mad enough at you. 
act. You know, they make you think that you have to be perfect before you can teach people something. Huh? I was glad we had that bus. It's me and Beetlejuice in the bus. Remember, Tony had lost all that weight. He was driving, and I was in there with a cane. What a happy pair. But we're going to healing school. We're going to conference. We ain't missing nothing. Huh? <laughs> what a happy pair. So, so we, we, we limped. He skinnied in, and I limped in, but we made it. You see what I'm saying? Huh? You don't despise small things. You don't despise your trials. If y'all want to judge me based on something negative happening to me in my life, help yourself. But I'm going to keep a winsome. You understand? I'm going to keep a winsome. <laughs> now, why don't we have to compete like the world? Because the promise came before the curse. Oh, really, devil? Really? You too late by so many years. Huh? Because I got this from God before you even showed up and did your little razzmatazz. Huh? And Jesus went to the cross to give it to me back again. Huh? Listen, don't you worry about losing anything. You understand me? Don't you worry about failing. Don't you worry about messing. Because he will give it to you over and over and over again. God would rather give it to you and let you mess it up. And him come and fix it than to let the devil rob you of it. Huh? How do you ever learn to be faithful without making mistakes? Oh, I know you perfect Christians. See, in your perfect Christian mentality. See, I can get so perfect, I don't ever make a mistake. That's mistake number one. You're perfected already. All you got to do is learn how to follow God. You think the devil can't distract you? All he got to do is come with your favorite so-and-so. And it don't have to be expensive. It can be cheap, baby, and we'll run off. Oh, look at that. That's, oh, I got to have that. Right. Promise came before the curse. So it trumps the curse every single time. Trump. <laughs> right. Trumps the curse every single time. Since the promise came before, then there's no competition. It was already given to you before Adam and Eve messed up and, and we inherited that. So we have a greater inheritance in God. The things of God are more ours than the things of the world are. You just got to keep your, your nose in your faith. You got to stay out of the world and out of the natural and out of things that don't pertain to you. Things of this life don't pertain to us. They are there for the using when God blesses us with them. But he's out creating new stuff for his people. He's not giving you this old leftover stuff devil's people have fought over. What's yours is yours and God's, God has it laid up for you. So when somebody tells you, oh, you better get there in a hurry. <laughs> I don't rush, darling. Believers don't make haste. What's for me, God has for me. Now, you can run and get yours if you want to. Huh? Our promises are secured by an oath, Hebrews 6.11. They are secured 
by an oath. Little Howard, how we doing? Oh, Lord. See, I almost know. Hebrews 6. Oh, like I said, 6. I think it's 18. Verse 16, it says, 15. It's talking about Abraham. He says, so then... After he had patiently endured, what endured what? Waiting and delay, disappointment, discouragement, small things, wrong things. After he had patiently, huh? Patiently, not God, you got to do it in three weeks or I'm done with you. Which is the mentality we keep about things. And you notice you never get it and you keep crawling back to God. My advice is stay with him and don't get testy. Just find yourself a corner you can sit in and get comfortable with God. You understand me? And park it there until he gives you something to do. After he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men truly swear by the greater. God swears by himself because he's greatest. He is the greatest. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So you shouldn't be competitive in yourself because you've got an oath confirming the word of God. See, the oath, the promise, anybody can do. But the oath confirms it. So if you're looking for a confirmation, you got one already. You got one already. See, this is where God does great things through people. People who hear God's word and take off. And don't hesitate and wait for somebody to tell them 15 times that it's for them. Just take off with it if you halfway believe in it. It's in the taking off that it becomes alive. And he says, they swear by the greater. God swore by himself because he couldn't find nobody greater. And he confirmed it. And it's an end of all strife. So you ever wonder how some people can hear the word once and believe and take off and start a ministry and do great things? Because they, they got this inside of them. They don't let religious people put doubt in them. The oath of confirmation is already on the word of God. I said the oath of confirmation is already on the word of God. Now, if you're doubting you're not sure, God will make it real to you. You can ask him to do that. But I'm telling you, his word's confirmed already. We got too many examples in the word of God to ever doubt it. You got to stop reading this like a fairy tale and read it like it's your life. Just skim through it. and Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's reading Joshua again. I know that scripture. Well, get up and do it then. Hmm? You don't know nothing till you get up and in, interact with it. Huh? I was married, but if I never interacted with my husband, it wasn't no real marriage. I say no more. I rest my case. So it says, <laughs> see, I was nice. I didn't say what I thought about saying. Don't frustrate me. It says, we're in God. He's willing He's willing. He's willing, folks. He's willing to abundantly reassure us. Amen. Willing to more abundantly show to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. In other words, he's willing to, uh, to allay all your doubts and fears. He's willing to answer you when you don't understand and you don't believe. He's willing. Don't get afraid to ask God what's going on and what he means. 
He's willing to more, he's more abundantly willing to answer your question and to help you believe. Jesus did that with everybody that came to him wanting to be healed. Many of them didn't get it the first time. The ones who got it the first time, he marveled and he applauded them. But the ones who didn't get it, he was willing to more abundantly convince them that they could get it. You understand me? So God's not testing you, giving you some quiz. And, uh, wait, do you believe I'm going to bless you? Oh, really? Get away from me. He's not like that. That's people. And usually it's us. That's the way we would treat people if we had something. It ain't right. We ain't right sometimes. Willing to more abundantly show to the heirs of promise. That's us. You inherit the promise. The immutability of his counsel. Uh, immutability, it, it's fixed. It can't be twisted out of shape just because you ask for it and you think he don't want to give it to you. His counsel is immutable. He don't change his mind. I don't care who asks him. You can ask God as weak as you can on your worst day, and he still wants to give it to you. Now, I don't advise cultivating that habit. I advise getting in the world and word and shoring up your faith, because you need it. I need it. But he's to the to two immutable things. Number one is his word cannot be changed. And his oath can't be changed. When he swears on something, he means it. And he says, which is what, it's impossible for God to lie. In other words, if you, he tells you he's going to give you a labosia, and you don't know what that is, he's going to have to make that for you. He's going to have to interpret it and make it for you. He promises that if it ain't been invented yet, it's coming. You just keep believing it. It's coming. You understand me? It's coming. He can't lie. And he says, we might have strong consolation. In other words, this strengthens your faith. This strengthens your resolve to believe him. This strengthens your desire to ask him. We should have no fear in asking him because he cannot lie. He locked himself in with an oath and a promise. That's why no matter what comes your way, you can say, I'm still believing God for so-and-so. But look how long it's been. Oh, it's just getting better. It's not getting worse. Time is causing it to age like fine wine. Huh? Time is making the promise better. And see, as long as we're sitting on the edge of our seat, Wondering if it's not if it's going to happen, you're not in faith. It, it won't happen for you if you stay like that. This is for faith people. This is for people that believe God. He's talking to people who believe Him to help you to believe, not to get you discouraged because of the length of time it's taken. Because you'll be sitting here this time next year, still wondering. Better get in faith. Get a bit. Get the sticking some pictures up on the wall. Huh? That's the way the early faith people did it, and they got what they were desiring from God. Huh? You better put some scriptures around. You better get get with the program and get that look off your face. Like you anticipating to eat some more lemons before the day is up. Get that look off your face. Start rejoicing. Huh? You get in your room by yourself. 
You rejoice in front of the saints sometimes. They try to discourage you and talk you out of it. I hate to tell you that, but it is true. The devil wants so much to discourage you, he'll use your best friend to do it. Huh? It's impossible for God to lie. Don't block your faith through unbelief. Uh, bad mood, doubt, discouragement. And, and I don't mean put on a happy, <laughs> you know, stick that smiley face on you. Don't do that. I'm talking about rejoicing. Get in your room. Get, you know, your little praise music on or whatever, or just by yourself. Start praising him in an empty room sometimes. And see what won't happen in that empty room. And get some real joy about yourself. Get joy on the inside of you and let it fix you on the outside. God foresaw your future and made total provision. Whatever you're going through is no surprise to him. He's already provided for it. He doesn't exaggerate what he promises he will deliver. Whatever God tells you, I mean you, that you believe, he will do it for you. He's not just jerking you around trying to get you to believe for the sun and the moon so he can disappoint you. That's the devil. Uh, That ain't God. That's the devil. And so when God promises you something, but you you best better believe by the time you get it from him, you'll be ready for it. Huh? He doesn't, I'm telling you, he does not give much to disgruntled people. He does not give much. Now you barely, you get enough to, you keep surviving, but you won't thrive and you won't live. You keep being mad because you don't have certain things. You keep being upset because where your life is. You keep letting the devil work you. Huh? God can work. You can you can can sow and serve your way out of any bad situation. I've done it many times. Let me tell you where Christians make their mistake when things start getting better. They quit sowing. Then they right back starting over again. Oh, I better I better get to doing this. Or they do it with an ungrateful heart. That you can say, God don't want that. He wants, you, he wants you to love him and understand that he's given you this life just like it is right now where you are. Every place that you are right now is ordained by God. And he's looking at you to see what you will do with it. Looking at his promises. Looking at his ways. Doing things his way. Most of us would get farther if we quit being insecure, nervous, and embarrassed about everything. If that's where you are, you need to work on that. In fact, if that's where you are, we're going to take care of that today. Because people have opportunities like never before. I've seen it over the years with Christians. We have opportunities, but when we get in the midst of, of God putting our hand to something, we wonder what we look like to people. We wonder what, are they going to look at me? People don't like working with me because I like excellence. And when they get around me, everybody gets nervous around me. For It's been that way ever since I've been anointed. Some nervousness. You understand? Because people think I'm judging them or I'm super critical or something like that. I'm trying to get you to get out of yourself so you can go with the flow of God and what he's doing here so you can partake of something greater than what you have right now. You understand? That's what all teachers do. And when you feel that nervousness and that ease, forget about yourself. 
first thing people want to do is look at what they look like and what they're to stay up here, Tom, because I'm going to walk with you in a minute, okay? They look at what they look like and what it's going to mean if they're seen doing this or not. You understand what I'm saying? And see, the minute the devil jumps on you and makes you get in yourself again, you've lost whatever it is that God's going to bring you out of that situation. Forget about who you are. Forget about what you look like. You're here as a servant of God, just like I'm a servant of God. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to provide for my future. You need to get in with that and start providing for your own. Amen? And let's just be normal people. Amen? Little Howard, put on some music. We'll stop right now. Father, we thank you. Come on, Tone. We're going to walk and went. Thank you, Lord, for healing Tone. Thank you, Lord, for taking all the swelling and pain out of his knee in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for taking all of Now, we're done with this. We're done with this pain. We're done with the swelling. We're done with the infirmity. We're done with all of it today, Lord. Jesus, we see you taking it on the cross. We see you taking everything out of him that's not you. We thank you, Lord, for helping him to get where you want him to be and move him speedily. Okay, you can keep it going. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lift him up a little bit higher to where it used to be painful and let God do what he wants to do. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We magnify you. Lord, he's not going to be stopped anymore. Thank you, Lord. He's walking into his prosperity. He's walking into his wealthy place, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you and we praise you for it. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you for it. Satan, I feel you trying to take that away from him. You can't do it. He is walking into his wealthy place. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You put holy, holy on me. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Is at least all the pain gone? It's gone, really? Tell you ain't the truth. Yeah. Okay, praise God. Well, if you don't mind to keep walking, I know it'll all leave you, Tone, because we've already told it to. So don't take any of it out of here with you. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There you go. You can do it now. Thank you, Jesus. Don't put it off. You may run. You can run. There you go. See? Better than this, right? Better now. Praise God. Don't let the devil jump on you and start reminding you of it later either. Just stay in a healed mentality. See, we stay in a mentality of being healed. Not trying to be healed, but being healed. We'll get it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, stay up here because I'm going to get you to pray for people. Since God has got you filled with his power. 
Okay. Fear and insecurity about going forward with what God has for you. Come up here. Thank you, Jesus. Fear and insecurity. 